no lesson is going to make you an amazing leader. Like you can't pick one thing, do it all the time and be great. What you have to do is in every situation, find the one skill you're going to work on and get 1% better at it. Like just push because it's it's like a, a rope or a cable, right? Cables are strong by how many pieces there are, not the strength of any individual wire. Welcome back to the show. And I'm so excited to have with us Andy because he's he's got all sorts of cool stuff. And at least I think we'll get through at least 1% of it. And you'll understand why in a second. Andy, will you please tell us who you are and what you do? Thanks, Todd. Hi, I'm Andy Ellis. I'm an operating partner at Wild Ventures. And I recently published the book 1% Leadership. Uh, I'd spent 21 years at Akamai growing the security organization there from one person to 94 before I left. Nice, nice, nice. So you have a lot of experience growing and scaling. You've exited, and now you're in the yep. boat of investing in other companies and training people how to make themselves better leaders and ultimately get their companies more exitable. Does that sound right? Exactly. That's exactly what we're doing. So we're a seed it. stage cybersecurity fund. So we exclusively are the first money people have wow. seen. So we want to take them from seed, and we're all about home runs. You know, there's a lot of cool. you know funds out there that are like, oh, if we can get like a two x you know exit within a year and a half, we're happy. And that, that's not what our goal right. is. You know, we're right. looking to see you know, how many home runs can we get. So for us, when we're taking a founding team, it's really important to make sure that you have people who will know how to grow and scale a business from a right. small team of you know that those ten people up front to you know hundreds of people down the road. And is that pretty typical, the size you're working with, someone of about 10, 15, 20, 20 employees, and they're just kind of trying to figure out, all right, we, we, time to raise money. What do we need to do next? Yeah. Oh, when I first start working with them, it's often two people. Wow. Like, it'll just be two people with a clever idea. You know, Maybe they've got some industry experience, and they're ideating. They don't even have a company yet. Oh and my we're going to engage at that point to figure out, like, do they have the potential that you really want to write them that check? And then how right. do you help them grow and scale? So we function sort of like a somewhere between an incubator and I like to say reverse private equity. I think the right. stereotype of private equity is they buy into your business and fire your executives and bring in their own. Sure. And we do the opposite, which is we give you money. And now we provide you a bunch of executives to fill out your team until you can replace us. So we have a whole marketing organization that does early stage marketing and we get fired by our portfolio all the time because at some point they want their own marketing team. I love it. I love it. I like that model a lot. Uh, yeah, it so works really good... well for us. No, that's actually a really smart way to do it. And and I would consider raising a fund like that because I think, I think you know, really the smartest money you can get, especially at seed round, is one that can help you really tell your story and get your product out there so that you can make it a little further down the road, stretch that seed money far enough so that they're not giving up as much equity later. Is that kind of the, the drill? Yep. It really is because the challenge of scaling anything, right, is you know a one-person business and a 10,000-person business have to do all of the same thing. So there's more coordination right. cost at 10,000. But right. you need to have people doing marketing and sales and product and everything. But when you're a one-person company, you're doing all of it. And the problem is when you want to add a second person or add specialists, like right. if you wanted to add a marketing person as your second person, well, what you needed was 10% of a great marketer for six months. But now you're paying a full-time person yeah, who yeah. you don't need it's them stupid. once yeah. you do your launch you know, for a little bit. 
And so yeah. by providing that capability early, it's like you get that that skill, but you don't just have to go outside on the market and go find somebody and hope that they work. Right. You get right, to work right. with somebody who's, whose money is really your money. I love it. You know, I, I've done a lot of fractional CMO work in my life, and I think that what you're doing is such a smart play because, you know, they can't really afford a full-time CMO who knows what they're doing right, right at the start. And so when you bring in those resources and those people and really set the path and the tone for their market, uh, for their marketing, boy, it just helps all of the sales. It helps the whole company kind of get unified behind that mission and vision that, that the marketers typically set forth. Right. It gives you, gives you that before you would normally have access to it. I love it. And for people that are listening to this, honestly, this is a, it's a really fascinating concept. You know, I, I always recommend if you're looking for money, if you're looking for seed money, make sure it's strategic in some way, shape or form. But Andy, this is really, really awesome. What does your portfolio look like and how many, you know, what types of companies you said, cybersecurity, like where, where yep. are you at and what, what do you focus on? Yeah, so it's exclusively cybersecurity companies. Every every one of them started in Israel. Many of them have relocated to the United States. You know, companies that have exited from us include uh, Exonius and Twistlock, uh, companies still in our portfolio, uh, Orca Security, uh, cool. Vulcan Cyber, Hunters. So companies that are very focused in the cybersecurity space. And then we have a lot it. of new ones always coming in because we make you know, somewhere between you know, one and five investments a year. Nice. That's awesome. Well, that sounds like a really fun fund. And and now that you, um, I, I would imagine being experienced as you are in not only growing your own business, but also kind of riding the exit, getting to these investments and seeing other companies grow, that set the premise for the book, which, which is sitting behind you. You're launching right now. Tell us yep. about the book and where did this all come from? So the book actually started as an antidote to leadership trainings gotcha. because I would go to corporate leadership trainings and I, and it'd sit there and I'm like, first of all, it's three hours of like this power play of this you know, person <laughs> who's coming in, who has to establish right. credibility in front of a bunch of executives right. and convince right. them that they've got something to teach you. Um, <laughs> and even the best ones, like they still kind of only have one or two things they're going to teach you. Right. Um, and then right, what would right, sometimes right. happen inside a big corporation is you're like, oh, this is great. Let's take it out to the whole company. And then you get really junior people trying to teach something. Yeah. That they're, they're not the same skilled speaker that the executives no, got. No, 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 no. And no, so that's... I found myself writing essays and I would okay. write them and send them to my organization. I'd be like, here's what you need to take away. Here's the lesson. And at some point I'm like, this is, this is what leadership is, is just taking all of those lessons and saying, no lesson is going to make you an amazing leader. Like you can't pick right. one thing, do it all the time and be great. What you have right. to do is in every situation, find the one skill you're going to work on and get 1% better at it. Like just push. Cause it's, it's like a, a rope or a cable, right? Sure. Cables are strong by how many pieces there are, not the right. strength of any individual wire. And that's what right. you're trying to do is strengthen all of your wires to make your cable stronger. Interesting. And, and in your, in your perspective and in the book, how do you define like how many case, how many different types of leadership uh, principles do you have in there to go over? Yeah. So I went over 54. Um, so it. you could read them like one a week and it'll take you about a year to get through. Um, and each one, like, you know, there's nothing hidden. So you can read the table of contents and every chapter title is a summary of the lesson. 
So it's quick reference for you, or you can go awesome. hunt and, and look. I got I separate them by what I call personal leadership, the ways that you have to lead right. yourself. Because right. if you don't take care of yourself, it does not matter how well you're taking care of the people around you. Agreed. Um, Agreed. Then how, how do you take care of the team? Like what's team leadership look like? And then what does organizational leadership look like? Because when you think about scaling, like that's where organizational leadership really matters totally. is when you no longer have a team of people that report directly to you. 100%. No, there's so much to say about that. And I really appreciate you bringing that up because you know, the, there is no one one size fix all solution and everyone's got different personality types and everyone needs to focus on different parts of leadership. And so this yep. is awesome. And and I, I would dare say that there's probably nobody out there who is 100% awesome at any one thing. But, but absolutely rather, not. I find myself like t- find, learning, relearning some of my lessons. And I'm like, oh, God, I really suck at that. Right. And I wrote right, the right, book right. on it. Right. Well, there, there you go. That's perfect. You know, and I like the cadence of once a week, you pull into a, a new leadership theme. I think that's just about the right cadence to, to really put into practice the things that you're taught in the book. That's really awesome. Yep. I, I love it. Yeah. yeah, because it's like an exercise regimen. Like you don't try to do a brand new exercise every single day. Like you do nope. something new, you work it until you develop the muscle memory. And so I have nice. a newsletter that I send out once a week as well. So people can subscribe to that. It's on Substack. Awesome. It's a the Duha One you know, Leadership Guide. And it's like, and here's a chapter cameo. Here's a lesson that's sort of tied to it. And here's a one minute pro tip really for within the workplace, a thing you could do that I can tell you in one minute what to do. And it's an easy practice to go try. I love it. And what's the feedback from your, uh, from your investment portfolio? Have you, I'm assuming you've given this book to their leadership teams. Yep. Oh yeah. Every, everyone leadership teams has it. You know, I, I will say some of them read it right away and we're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And I'm like, tell the ones who just shoved it on their bookshelf. Cause of course there are, are folks who do that. Um, I've never but done I, that. You know, whenever, yeah, I'm just, I have a stack <laughs> of things. Fortunately, it's not this shelf. It's the one right above it. I keep it out of my video <laughs> camera of all the books I haven't yet read. Um, but what's really helpful is that reinforcement of they're all getting the newsletter. And so they're seeing right. like, these are all CEOs who are seeing this newsletter and being, Oh, I can see how that lesson applies. And when I touch base with them, you know, I meet with most of them every week or every other week. They're right. like, Oh yeah, this, this one really applied for me. I am so glad you're here. And I just wanted to take a few seconds to tell you about a program that we have assembled with a lot of our podcast guests and a lot of people who are listening to the show who are feeling the same way that they do. There's a recurring theme. You'll hear a lot of these founders talk about, I couldn't have done it without my team. I couldn't have done it without a a support group of peers. I couldn't have done it without having someone to talk to that understood my feeling of isolation as an operator of my business. You see, you're not alone. It is hard running a business, and it's even harder when you know you can't express all your deepest concerns and frustrations with your executive team. It makes them nervous, it gets them scared. You don't want scared people on your executive team. So where do you turn? The Captain's Council is where you turn. The Captain's Council, it is an organization that we are put together with podcast guests, as well as people who are listening who are in the same boat. You see, peers are the only ones that can give you the type of empathy, the type of advice that only a founder or operator know and understand. Go check it out at captainscouncil.com. 
I know you're gonna love what you see there. We have put together an organizational structure that has small group settings, a global community of founders and operators, as well as monthly and quarterly in-person events. You're gonna love what you see there. I can't wait for you to check it out and enjoy the rest of this episode. That's awesome, awesome. I love it. You know, there's there's so much to be said about this and it is so important. You know, I, I was uh, listening to uh, someone online the other day that was saying, you know, I've read so many books and didn't put into practice the things I, that I read. And so I finally got a little more serious about my reading and determined that I would only read a few books several times so that I could actually implement the lessons. And I like how you've chopped this thing up because it does become a resource. It's more of a resource than a read. Yes. You know what I mean? Right. You should, you should keep it not on your bookshelf, but on the desk right next to you. So I that when you know, somebody brings a challenge to you, you can be like, Hey, what's the lesson I could use here until you get to a point that you're having a conversation like, Oh, I know what lesson I need to you know, right. reinforce with them so they can go deal with whatever their challenge is. All right. So now let's jump back in a little bit. I, I, I love the book and I love the concept. And honestly, for those listening, go check it out. Can they buy it on Amazon? You can buy it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your favorite local independent bookstore, you name it. Awesome. Awesome. So as they listen to this book, I want them to think about, I want everyone listening to think about these things, because what I'm going to ask you next is very relevant to everybody listening. And that is, you know, you are an early seed stage investor. Um, And I know it's, I know you're niched and I know your cybersecurity and all that kind of stuff, but the, the principle is likely very transferable to almost any industry. When you're Mm -hmm. looking at an early stage company with one or two partners or just a very small leadership team and they're just kind of rolling, wearing all the hats, doing everything themselves, what are the red flags that you see? What what are the things that you see that you're like, oh my gosh, if you could just tweak this, this, and this, we're investing. Um, You know what I mean? Are, Are there those things that are very obvious that you're seeing that you're like, not a chance yet? until you fix these problems. So there definitely are some, and in fact, this was a a lesson I had to learn early on in my career, which is that whenever you're doing a a hiring or filtering process, you should be looking for no's more than you look for yeses. Interesting. Most of the time you're getting to a no, so you have to figure out what what makes a no is easier than what makes a yes. And so the the no's that I'm looking for, you know, the first one is, do they know how to listen? Right. They have this clever idea. And if I drop a fact that is contrary to their understanding of the world, do they stop? Do they hear it? Do they process it? Or do they tell me that can't possibly be true? Biggest red flag right there. I'm going to walk away. It doesn't matter if I was right or wrong. But if the cut, if you do that to a customer, like you're not going to get customers. So, so that's sort of the first one, which is, you know, really, can you hear evidence and adapt to it and adjust? And some of the best companies in our portfolio, the idea they brought to us is not the company they launched. They heard from enough people like different facts. They're like, wait, we have a better idea. We'll go to market with that better idea. Right, 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 right. And so, so that's the first thing we look for. We look for technical excellence. You, if you're going to build a company, you have to have on your founding team people who truly understand the problem, who right. understand what that solution is going to be, that it can't be somebody who's like, oh, I read an article about AI yesterday, and so I'm going to build an AI company. Right. Like, if you want to build a company about AI, then you need to have somebody who really understands that problem space. Right. Because 
but at the same time, they have to not be so deep into that problem space that they don't understand the business problem. Totally get it. Yeah. Right. Makes so, sense. so really those are those are sort of my top three big red flags of I love can it. you hear do you understand the technology and do you understand the business mm. That's and then of course obviously like do i think there's a market right now because i've had companies that they have all three of them but i don't think there's a market wrong time yeah wrong time yep and I've been wrong. Like I'm, it's not necessarily that I'm perfect, but we're sort of paid by our investors to yeah. make those decisions. Well, and we all know that statistically, most businesses are going to fail, and and most rockets do explode. And you know, there's a yep. lot of things that don't happen all the time. But what you're saying is really relevant to a successful launch, and that is you know, really understanding that if you if you are willing to listen, and if you are willing to adapt, and if you are willing to admit that maybe the timing's wrong for this product type, there is a chance to bend and tweak and reshift what you're doing yep. into something that will fit. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Now, at the same time, you want somebody who's got that conviction so that once they say, right. hey, we're going to go do this, you want them to be focused on it, not continuously trying to bend and shift, because in right. some cases you have to define and build a market, but You're they right. need to know when to be declarative and when to be shifting. That's really smart. That's a really smart thing. And how do you advise people to do that? Because I think I think a lot of people hear, you know, the, that new buzzword of pivot and shift and and tweak when really they should just be focusing in and lasering on that solution that they've got. Yeah. So the biggest thing I tell people is I say, write down your runway. Like if you're a, a startup, like literally the day that you're founded, you know, the day you run out of money, you have a budget, right. you obviously right. have no money coming in. So at some point you run out of money and you're going to shutter the business. Okay, great. Now back up on that and write like, what are the points where you need additional capital? Like when do right. you expect it to come in? So you know, you're working that and put in, when do you need to pivot? So if you say, okay, we're, we're trying this, I like that. but if I get 12 months out and from when I launched my product and I have zero customers, I yeah. need to seriously consider a pivot. Don't right. wait until 12 months after to be like, should I think about it now? No, no, you wrote it down. That gave you the 12 month window to drive. Right. You can right. be thinking about maybe, maybe I should be pivoting a little, you know, collect right. that data, but sort of commit in advance for when you're going to pull the ripcord rather totally. than holding on to it and thinking, do I need to pull it right now? Do I need to pull it right now? Because you don't want to be wasting your energy while you're trying to execute. I love that. That is really, really great advice. And, and honestly, um, I, I think that a lot of people are fairly immature at, at knowing that those foundational decision-making times in running a business. And they don't know that, you know, runway means everything, you know, Yep. Do you have at least, uh, I know that for me personally, I love to have at least three months, sometimes four months of runway at all times in the bank, just in case something as a hiccup, a snafu, because it always is. And if you right. can't there, weather can those always four just... months, <laughs> right? Right. COVID, like think about when it would happen oh, with boy. COVID, right? We don't have yeah, to done. predict the next thing. Right. But any disruption that causes all of your customers to say, hey, wait a second, I can't afford to pay you for a couple months. Okay, what are you going to do about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're speaking to the guy that just went through that. <laughs> yeah, that was a horrible right? time. Yeah, it was awful. Um, it, it was awful for some people. Some people absolutely loved it, but but there were certain business types that needed to pivot, or you will die. 
And my particular yeah. business could not pivot because it was just too personal and in person. It couldn't work the way that it needed to. So I had to, I had to put it to rest, put it yep. down and start something different. And those are detailed by your runway. How much cash flow do yep. you have? Where can you run this business into until you know you've got to either stop, change, or go raise some money and do something different? Yeah, and if and if you want to be like an ethical business owner, you need to figure yeah. out how much it will cost you to shutter your business. Sure. Because if it's going to cost you like one month of runway to pay your employees a severance and to deal right. with walking out of everything, then you have one month less runway than you thought you had. You don't get to run to zero. Because the last thing you want to do is be the guy who one day people showed up and you said, oh, by the way, I'm not sending you your last paycheck and I you don't it. have a job as of a week ago. I love it. Now, as you take these the, this book, I, I would imagine that for you, this now becomes your quick resource. Um, you know, as yep. you're advising these companies that you're working with and, uh, and helping them. And, and by the way, I, I just can't stop thinking about how much I love your model of actually embedding certain key leadership roles on fractional levels to get them where they need to. Um, just smart, really smart. You know, as you pull your little white book out and you start going through these 1% uh, rules of thumb and leadership things, what are some common themes that you find yourself constantly like sharing with new members of your portfolio, people that have been in for two years? Like, are there different traits that you feel like you really got to nail this up front and then you're going to have to learn this one a little bit later. Yeah. So the, the upfront one is delegation and it's going to, you're going to have to keep going it. and oh, you're going to have to learn so to practice good. this one. And here's the yeah, most important yeah. skill in delegation is it will not be done the way you would do it. <laughs> Amen. And you have to practice the I'm delegating work to someone and what I get back is not what I would have done. And that is okay. Because if you don't <laughs> right, make right, that okay, right. you won't get the work done because people will be too afraid and they'll feel like they're being micromanaged. So don't micromanage people with the work you delegate. Totally. Because as a business totally. owner, especially if you started from one, like everything got landed on you. you your job description is literally, I do the stuff that no one else yeah. does and there is no one else. Yep. You, you hire the first yep. person, you're going to give them a bunch of work you've been doing. And you have to just accept that they're going to do it in a way you wouldn't do. But as a result, you get to do a bunch right. of different work instead. And maybe they're not as good as you are. And you only get, you know, you know they only took 30% of your job right. away, but it's a full-time right. job for them. Well, guess what? You just increased your productivity by about 40%. Great. Go take that and productivity ideally, and go run with it. Not only are you stealing that time back, but ideally you hire someone that's better than you at that thing. That is the best yes. hire, right? It's like, it's okay to admit that you're not the best yep. at that particular thing. And and if you are the best at one particular thing, don't give that part away until you've given away all the stuff you're not that good at. Yeah. In fact, find the work that you don't like doing and takes a lot of time for you and hire somebody who loves doing it and it is easy. 100%. Because they're going to be like, wait, I got a job doing this. I, I, I get to like, keep your I books. I love this. And you're like, yeah, I hate keeping books. Like... <laughs> Find specialists and hire them. Amen. I love that. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, as companies start to grow and they start to develop and they start to build their team, it really does become a function of you no longer can operate with the guys that wear multiple hats. You've got to have the specialists. Yep. Generalists are great at the beginning because they can, they can run with you. They can think with you. They can, they can brainstorm. But when it comes down to 
I got to get this crap done and it's got to be done really good. You really need to pull back a little bit and say, okay, I can't hire that generalist now. I need that specialist. How do you help them do that? So I think some of it is you actually just help them hire the specialist. And <laughs> sometimes you idea. do it without, right. You're like, so we have an HR department, our HR department yeah. will go and, re and resource people for you. Sometimes you go the fractional route with them. You say, hey, yeah. let's bring in somebody part-time or yeah. you know, on a consulting yeah. thing to do this so they can see the value that they get. Right. And right. you know, sometimes that's the biggest challenge. You'll find somebody who's like, they won't give it up. I've, you know, I've had a CEO who's sitting editing their website and I'm thinking this, this is not the work you should be doing. Like no, anybody no. in your marketing department can edit right. the website. Like you can decide the tagline if that's important to you, but you should not be the one in Webflow who's doing that work. Like I do that for no my doubt. side consulting business. Cause that's me and my <laughs> wife, like it's two people. I'm the right. web monkey. Um, right. I totally get that. But if you've got like 20, 30 people, like website management, not your problem anymore. I love it. Andy, this has been such a fun conversation because I think that we're really kind of peeling back the band-aid on where a lot of our listeners are at. And that is, you know, we've launched, we're making some money. I don't really know what to do next. And and yep. the, what you're describing is so relevant to them because these pains are 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 hard, especially on your first on your first business launch. As you get a little more evolved and you and you've had multiple launches, this becomes a natural ebb and flow of that transition from launch to scale up, you know, as yep. you start to, um, you know, after your seed money has kind of run its course and that company is, is hopefully generating some cash and, and getting some client acquisition. At what point do you encourage or advise them to start looking for that next round? And how does that evolution kind of take place with your, with your portfolio? Yeah, so we're often having them think about their next round very early. Interesting. Right? Because the idea is you just don't want to be desperate. So it's, yeah. you're building out the relationships. You want to be on the radar so that the, right. you have an investor who's like, oh, I want to be part of your Series A. Right. Let me know when that's going to happen. Sure. sure. Right. So that now they're they're almost Smart. budgeting for you. Yeah. And so when you're ready, because because raising a round is a big challenge. I think people don't really understand how much of a coordination issue it is. Right. You know, when you raise your seed round, your seed round really usually is like one lead investor and then a bunch of your friends and angels sure. who are going to you know, sure. be on as advisors. And those are easy to find. But right. a, a right. Series A and a Series B round, you're often juggling like three to five institutional investors. Sure. And if you're trying to line them all up the last minute, like that's not going to work for you. You want to line no somebody doubt. up first have them notionally be like, yeah, I'm interested. And then collect somebody at some point, you're like, okay, let's sign a term sheet. But generally we don't want people to, to have like less than six months of runway at the levels we're, we're right. doing. Cause we're usually sign, write a check for, you know, between six and $10 million is our first right. check. So we're right. going to give them some good runway, but we want to make sure that like, yes, you should have, you know, some customers, you should have market sure. fit sure. before you go for your series A. Love it. Oh, Wonderful advice. Honestly, Andy, this has been such a fun conversation. And for those listening, I highly, highly recommend we're putting links to his book down below. Check it out in the show notes and please go buy this thing. I, I got I'm. I can't wait to get my hands on it. I think it's going to be a fun read because it is not a start to finish read. It is a resource that's going to help yep. all of us become better leaders in our business. And I don't think there's anyone out there who can't use a little bit of touch up on principles that you may not be so awesome at. So Andy, 
Thank you so much for for being with us. Is there anyone you'd like to give a shout out to before we let you go? Well, Todd, thanks for having me. Um, I want to give actually a shout out to all of the leaders who used to work for me, because awesome. many of the lessons that I have written in here are ones I learned from the people who worked for me, rather Fantastic. than learning from the people I worked for. And so for all the listeners, pay attention to the folks who are working for you, because sometimes you've got lessons to learn from them. Not sometimes. All the time. Okay. All the time. Let's be honest. <laughs> I love it. Hey, Andy, thank you so much for your time. And for those listening, honestly, go check this book out. Go look at what Andy's up to. And uh, and I, I thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I love that conversation. I don't know what you thought, but let me know what you thought. Was that relevant? Was that helpful? Did it, did it give you answers to things you would have liked to known? Is there something you wish I would have asked? Let me know so our next guests will give you the right type of content, the right type of information that you're looking for to get you down your path of growth and scaling. You know, one of the fascinating things that Andy and I talked about just after our interview was the fact that in his portfolio, they created a peer group for their portfolio CEOs. Every one of the CEOs became part of a council that they get together regularly and they talk about uh, advice that they'd give each other things they wish they would have done differently with their deal. They, they negotiated with Andy and his team, everything. They go through all this stuff as a peer group of fellow CEOs to guide and help each other through the challenges they face. If you're dealing with challenges and you don't have that network to go to, I highly recommend you check out captainscouncil.com. Captainscouncil.com is an organization of CEOs and founders who are operating businesses through growth stages of their company. This is an exciting group because you're able to jump in and get put together with an intimate group of other CEOs who have the same challenges that you're facing in your business. How do we know? Because we know there are very consistent sets of challenges that every CEO and founder faces. And as you start to talk through them with fellow CEOs, peers who are dealing with it themselves, you find solutions, you find accountability, you find caring, and you find that you can be honest about things that you don't dare tell your investors and you don't tell, tell, tell your key employees. No one wants to freak them out, but other CEOs, they get it. They know what you're dealing with and the advice given is fascinating. It is so powerful and I know every member of our council is loving the advice they're getting from each other. So check out captainscouncil.com and come back for another episode of the Growth and Scaling Podcast. We're so glad this content is helping you and we look forward to catching up with you on the next one. We'll see you then.